Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I'm Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is something I was really excited to have happen. Uh, like the guest is Pete Philo. He is the director of international scouting for the Indiana Pacers, and he is the president of the TPG Sports Group, which does the Pro Scout School, among other events, which is going on this summer in Las Vegas. And it was great because we got to talk about how scouting works at the professional level. He was also very involved in the starting of the EuroCamp, which is in Treviso, Italy, and we talked about that process. And for those of you who are interested in the world of basketball, particularly the world of NBA basketball, I really think you'll get something out of this. I learned a lot myself. Conversation runs about 38 minutes, and I hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for coming on. Well, appreciate you having me. So where I like to start with people in this kind of interview is a little bit of a, a little explanation of where you are right now, and then we can get into how you got there, how you got here from there. Well, to start, start with, uh, I'm the director of international scouting for the Indiana Pacers and president of TPG Sports Group, which is an events company, sports events company based in Charlotte, North Carolina. We do global events, but that's that's what we do. And, and uh, of course, the Pacers' job is my full-time job, uh, and I have a good group of guys that work for me uh, with TPG Sports Group. And how long have you been with each of those organizations? I'm going on year three with uh, Indiana. I was seven years with the Minnesota Timberwolves and three with the Dallas Mavericks prior to that. TPG Sports Group... I want to say we're on year five right now. That's great. For the Pacers, obviously we can't get into too much specifics, but how would you describe the parts of your job that you can share just for somebody who doesn't really know what somebody who's a director of international scouting, what their responsibilities really are? 
Sure, sure. It's a great question because there, you know, with that title, it, it seems like I'm pigeonholed to uh, <laughs> uh, to a uh, just an international role, and, and that's not the case. We have an, a, an international scout that's based in uh, Belgrade, Serbia. That does a, a very good job for us. I kind of oversee that department, but I share responsibilities with uh, another director in the organization, Ryan Carr, in terms of you know overseeing the department with him and some of those roles and responsibilities. Of course, I go to uh, a lot of college games and a lot of pro games. So essentially my responsibilities, since I am based in the United States, I oversee the international department, but I, I do probably 50-50. I do 50%, hmm. let's say, college pro, and then 50% international in terms of time split. So uh, I'm on the road a lot evaluating talent. You know, Ryan and I organize the department, and we have – I want to say one, two, three, four, five, six regional scouts that do a very good job uh, with our with our staff and, and scouting responsibilities, and we do our best to keep them organized and rank and re-rank players and all that fun stuff. That's really interesting. As, as somebody who does this for a living, I'm somebody who, when I was started out really getting into basketball, I was fortunate. I went to UCLA back when the Pac-12, Pac-10 at the time was really strong, and I developed an understanding for myself that I do a much better job evaluating players when I see them in person. How do you sure. balance out the desire to see players in person and a lot of the dynamics that you can see with the sheer volume of, of individuals that are out there that are, are worthy of attention? No question. Uh, we we go on the, the baseline of good information wins. So you're right. You can't be everywhere. And, and I, I also agree with you. I think it's very important to see players live. But one thing I like to do is once you see them live a couple times, you can then evaluate on video a little bit better. But if you start on video and then make a decision without going to see them live or Start with video and then go to see them live after. You got to make sure you see guys multiple times, and it's not just for the good game, bad game scenario. Because you know, I think as scouts, we have to be able to identify a player whether he plays good or bad, and you can't get too high, too low on a player. I think there's some uh, middle ground that needs to be done there. In other words, if a guy plays really, really bad, statistically he was bad that night, but is, is there something there that? translates to the NBA for his position or can he can he help a team win in the NBA can he do something with an NBA skill does something translate and and and, and the opposite as well if a guy just has a great game statistically does that skill set necessarily translate because there are guys and we can use a a million examples you know who they are without mentioning the names that have been really really good college players statistically and they just couldn't make it in the NBA and and vice versa yeah, and that's something that, that I've been very interested in the last couple of years is the idea of that almost every professional player has been the best player on their team for most of their life. And the idea that, so that means that almost everybody is changing roles. And so you have to evaluate somebody in a different setting and in the case particularly of the NCAA with very different rules, which I'm sure is a challenge as well. Well, no question. And and I always uh, tell people, you know, when I speak about this, and of course we, we address this at scout school as well, is, it's a different sport. We have different rules. And, and yes, the game of basketball, but if rotations are different and rules are different, there are going to be different skills that translate or maybe things that work a little bit better uh, or translate a little easier to our league. 
Yeah, and something something else with that that I always think about that's a challenge in terms of scouting, and I would say in particular with the age limit, though you may disagree with that, is that college coaches have a different goal than you than some people think. Their goal is to win college basketball games. Their goal is not necessarily to develop professional talent, though you hope that those go together. And to me, the issue is that you combine that with the different rules. And so at certain situations, you're trying to trying to kind of evaluate guys in a little bit of a different setting. It sounds like you need to be an NBA scout, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you do, you know yourself. Uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of guys, uh, I wish shared that same knowledge, but you, you hit it on the head. You know, it's, it's difficult. The, the, uh, the college game, you're right. The college coaches need to win games. And as much as they, they want to develop players, it's difficult. It really is. You don't have a lot of time. There's some time restrictions for college coaches to spend on the floor with players. And then, you know, the, the summertime, you know, they, they're out recruiting and you hope the players are, are getting better, which they do. They do. But that's not the primary focus. And in our league, when you have, you know, 10 different guys pitching balls to players and working on certain footwork that you know you need to teach them and which will help them and, and get them better, it's a, it's a focus for us at our level. Do you feel like it's easier at an in-person evaluation to also get a sense of other players? Like, let's say you're scouting, you're you're there with the intention of seeing somebody, and then you end up noticing somebody else in a, in a way that is different than if you're watching on film. Inevitably, you know, we it, it happens, and and you know what? I look forward to those days. I really do. Those those are days. It happened to me a couple times this year. Uh, you know, you're at a game and you you know you have the target guy that you're going to see, or maybe it's three players in that game, and then there may be a a freshman. Cause, you know, we're not allowed to watch the high school games, and there's certainly a certain amount of high school tournaments we're allowed to see McDonald's Hoop Summit and you know Jordan Brand and things like that. Um, outside of that, you know, that's only essentially you know 30, 40 players. There are a bunch of other players that maybe didn't get evaluated properly at that level and and didn't make those teams. Therefore. There are a bunch of, of freshmen each year that are not on the NBA radar until we actually lay our eyes on them. And, you know, and maybe, maybe, uh, there's one in particular just off the top of my head. Obviously, I can't mention the name, but he didn't even start for his team. He came off the bench and I said, wow, this guy runs like the wind. He moves so easy and he's got great length and, you know, he's got a skill set for a certain position that he's not playing at the moment. But maybe he'll he'll uh, transition into that position, and he may ha- he may end up making an NBA one day. That's really funny because I think there's a possibility you're thinking of the same guy that again we're not going to mention names. That somebody who who somebody who I went to school with who was on a very good team but did not play very much. And my friends and I who were going to every game of that school said he's the best player on this team. And it took a little while, but he's doing pretty well now. But it's uh, one of the one question I have for you because you've you, as you said you have the fifty fifty split. Do you have a particular preference, I would say, for... It appears to me that the international, particularly European, systems develop players in a little bit of a different way in terms of emphasis on sport versus balancing with education. Do you really have a preference there? No, I don't. You know, I, I know I know a lot about the international game. I've been really lucky uh, over the years to be a big part of some things that have happened over there. Uh, and I, I do like the way they develop players, but at the same time... You know we're a basketball country, and and I, I we're a football country, but we're also we have a good basketball uh, community here in the United States, and and I think we do a good job. I think it could be better, 
problem is our country's so big, and in Europe, each each country is the size of a state, essentially. And so, whether it's Lithuania, they have a basketball school and a basketball philosophy, and they teach it from the highest level, and they have all of their junior coaches coaches follow suit, and they are, they're able to develop their players under one philosophy. And the same for Serbia, and the same for Argentina, and and now Spain is getting that way, and and France is getting that way, and. Uh, Croatia uh, has a philosophy, and, and I can go on and on. But it's easier to manage that country that, in that country's philosophy because it's so much smaller. Now, we, if we were to do that, we would have to con- cut our country into about, you know, into thirds or maybe even quarters or uh, like little regions, and then work from the outside in in terms of uh, of a philosophy. But nonetheless. We have a lot of good basketball players in this country, and and uh, it's just a, it's a different philosophy. It's a different it's a different you know makeup. That's all. Yeah, it, it it is, and I also think that the renewed focus on Team USA and and the, the infrastructure there is is also helping because one of the things that I really like is when you get to see high level players play against high level competition at a young age. I mean, I'm somebody who I remember like I, I just love seeing that and you know, those guys in the under nineteen tournaments and those have been going on for a while. But I love to be able to see guys who, as we talked about, you know, they're very spread out. This is a very big country. And because a lot of the challenge of being a high level basketball player is not only being great yourself, but understanding how to play with other talented individuals. No question. You know, it's funny. We we often say we, we love when we see a guy move the ball, you know, and it's one of those lost arts almost, you know, where guys, players think they need to, to shoot it or do something uh, spectacular to catch someone's eye. And what catches my eye the most, I mean, I can see right through the skill sets most NBA scouts can. It's, we just were trained to do that. And we, after years of doing it, it comes pretty naturally for us. But we love to see a ball mover, you know, it's, Guy catches it and instinctively moves it. And now, if he's got the skill set to to score it, to shoot it, to put it on the floor, to make a play, okay, he's going to do that. But he's also going to move it when he's supposed to move it. And so, for me, I don't know. I I prefer to see that a lot of the time. Yeah, and the other challenge with it is that I always, and this was something that I had to adjust to in college, was guys that are physically dominating at a lower level of competition and are relying on that, obviously some of those players can translate that to the NBA, but those are the you know the cream of the cream in that sense. But most guys also have to adjust to when they are facing people who are physically their equal or their superior. Well, of course, and that, and that goes back to the translatable scale or what fits at our level, because they are going to see their superior or their match physically as soon as they enter training camp with us and of course that that's why the ball movement comes into play so important at our level because there you have to pick and choose your spots almost with your skill set now there's there's the one percenters of the world but those one percenters like one of our guys paul george they're, they're just they're very rare you know and those one percenters can get a shot anytime they want and uh you know you, you go with it from there but um the ball movers and the rest of the world are, should be ball movers. <laughs> I'm stressing that. Yeah, and are you seeing a greater emphasis? I'm hoping we see this in the next couple of years on shooting from traditionally bigger guys because what we're seeing in the playoffs this year to me also is a, a benefit that that gives in terms of spreading the floor and making it harder for defenses to be in two places at once. Yeah, you know, it, well, positional size is, is 
very, very important for our league. And you just the, the more you really analyze players and you start to see how important that is, and that's for many reasons, not just the big guy that can make a shot, but whether it's contesting a shot or taking up space or, you know, contesting a guy at the rim, even if you're a, a wing guy and, and you know, uh, being able to get, get your arms in a passing lane, get, just disrupting a play because of your size. Size is so important. And, you know, you, of course, we see teams spreading the floor a lot using shooting four, even a shooting five. And shooting is such a premium right now in our league that uh, a lot of teams are are uh, focusing on that, even in the, even in the talent evaluation side of things. So uh, I agree it's it's important. Is it ever a challenge also, just in terms of, your t- we were talking about size, of just even a, having a better sense of the functional size of a player? Like there's, you know, height is what has been used for such a long time in terms of measuring somebody's size. But to me, you know, you look at things like wingspan and vertical and things like that, and you can get a better sense of that in games. But also some of it, you just need to really see it to understand how how they're going to fit into the current NBA landscape. Well, there's no question. I, you also don't know what you're really getting until you get the guy on your roster and see how he can perform within your system and with your guys and with your coaches. You know, we, we feel we, do, we all do a pretty good job of, because our job, right, when you do it long enough, you can, we kind of get it and understand what what's going to fit the right way, and, and hopefully, uh, hopefully it does once they get on your roster, but there's no question there's a gray area initially and you just hope hope you've made the right decision and then the other component of that is also personality which is something that you can tell separately but also how they fit into a team can be very important too yeah we, listen we we uh we spend a, a large amount of time doing background stuff on players and um we do a lot of a lot of that and it's important because it, you know you got to know who you're getting and once you fig- can figure that out if the Everything else checks out, and you know, and then you got to throw in the component that they're going to get paid money, <laughs> and that that may that may change uh, their outlook on some things, and you hope it doesn't. But uh, we're all human, and uh, <laughs> that sort of thing happens, and you just hope hope you get the best individual you can get. Now we we do a lot of we spend a lot of time on that. We really do. We uh, individually, and we also have a, a full time guy, and so it's important for us. Do you feel like the importance of that has grown in the last few years? Uh, without a doubt, without a doubt, because uh, you know you learn you learn by experience, and and teams have made mistakes over the years by drafting a guy that maybe they didn't know as well as they should have, and turned out to to hurt them more. You know, it's because at the end of the day, these players are are part of a team and part of an organization, and uh, we want the best for them, and we hope they give their best to us. And if they turn out to be a, a bad person or they don't fit in the right way because of maybe it's a personality conflict or a character issue, then it's going to hurt everyone. It's going to hurt the players, it's going to hurt the team and, and the organization. Is one of the challenges of your job aggregating, as you said, you know, you have, region, you have regional scouts and you have people who are doing a lot of good work, aggregating what they say and interpreting it yourself so that you can report it up the chain? Uh, you know what? It's uh, not an issue for us. Um, you know, we we have unbelievable leadership from from Larry Bird and Kevin Pritchard, Donnie Walsh, Peter Dinwiddie, uh, and then of course Ryan and myself. And and then we we collect um, and we have great communication. And you know, 
Kevin Pritchard and Larry Bird's philosophy, let's say, in terms of keeping everyone organized is, is a lot of communication and being open-minded to anything. And we have a system that I, I can't reveal everything that how we do uh, our communication because uh, that's, that's a, uh, a patient philosophy that, that has to stay tight. But we do a few things that are uh, daily, weekly, and, and monthly and, and things like that that we we stay really tight. And our, all of our information, I, I know where every one of our scouts is at all times. They know where I am at all times. And and we communicate very well. And then we have a central database with, with you guys <laughs> that that we keep uh, keep things uh, very organized. Yeah, and, and organization, I think, is probably something that's been made substantially easier by the, if you want to call it the rise of the internet, because I, I think about how hard it would have been, also in terms of video, how hard it would have been to scout, let's say, 20 years ago. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, I, I couldn't imagine doing it like that. But at the same time, I, it would be an even playing field for everyone. So uh, I think... I don't. I don't know what's more important: the relationships back then or relationships now. Because um, I, think, I think it's probably the same. Back then, they, they were so important because you didn't have access to uh, a lot of resources and video and things like that. You needed your relationships probably a little more for for good information. But now, the way the thing has changed a little bit, we need them as much probably for information because now we're digging a little deeper than than ever. You know, I'm just, I'm just happy we have all these resources. It makes life a little easier. You know, it's not, hey, it, it, you know, it's never easy to travel 220 days a year, let, let alone, uh, you know, get, getting a lot of information. So it's nice to have uh, all these resources. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, something I, I'm intrigued on in the process is are you allowed to, and I'm sure this is different in different situations, allowed to interact with players or people involved with them to say, hey, you know, you're you're doing really well, but if you worked on X, that would make you a much better player and somebody we'd be more interested in? No, not at all. In fact, that's a very strict NBA rule that we all follow. We're all cognizant of that as we travel. You know, the hard hard part is most people don't know that rule, whether it's you know, the parents, most agents know it, uh, friends or handlers or who, whoever, people, influencers, people around the players. And, you know, every once in a while you'll get, you'll get approached and, and you just have to say, I'm sorry, can't, can't communicate with anybody. But as far as players, we never talk to players. You're not allowed to. We're not allowed yeah. to. And we, we don't really get that close. I mean, there's not really an opportunity to. We're usually in the stands taking notes or we're on, you know, courtside at a table taking notes and then we're, out of there onto the next onto the next game, um, and until they declare for the draft. Once they declare for the draft, then you can set up, you know, x amount of interviews, and and uh, you get you can start communicating a little bit with them. Do you feel like that alignment? Because it, it seems like I understand that they're trying to prevent abuse and everything like that. Are there times that you get frustrated that you think, oh man, if a player could add this, they would do that, but it's just because they're because they don't have lines of communication to the decision makers in that sense that they just they have to wait, let's say, a couple of years until they get drafted. Of course, you know there's a frustration there a little bit, but that's what we're dealing with, and that's those are the rules, and and we have to abide by them. But I, I can tell you that what you just said, I say almost every time I scout a guy. Just because you know there's there's something missing or there's something some skill away from uh, really figuring it out and having a long productive NBA career, but we're all looking for that that great player. You know, it's just 
at some point you got to you got to realize you know there's only that's the one percenter of the world and you, you better don't pass up on a really good rotation player because those guys are really really important you know certain parts of the draft where you can get an all-star a starter and a rotation guy and our game's 48 minutes a little it's a little bit longer so you know you, it's really important to have a, a strong bench as well well, yeah, and that's something that I've I've harped on for years writing for Real GM is that there's a lot of value to me with the late first round for exactly that logic, that you get a guy on a really cheap contract. If you want him for four years, you get him for four years, and you're probably not going to get a first-team first All-NBA guy. I mean, there have been times that it has happened, but you're going to be getting a really cheap rotation player if they work out, and you need those guys. You know, as you said, 48 good minutes is an incredibly important part of today's NBA. No question. No question about it. Yep. We'll move on a little bit to the Pro Scout School. You want to talk a little bit about how that's how that started and where it is now? Sure, it's actually a good segue because some of the stuff we've just talked about. You know, our, our events company runs multiple events. You know, Sports Tank is one of our big ones where we just had a lot of success with. Uh, it's kind of a spinoff of Shark Tank. You know, it's all sports related startups, and that was a lot of fun and. That's growing like crazy, and we're really excited about that. We've run a sports career conference, a master's in coaching clinic. And last year, we started Pro Scout School for the first time. And, you know, the questions I get on the road, what we were just talking about from different people, asking about scouting and how do you, what do you look for and, and what, what's, your, what's your life like and how do you evaluate and what, do you, what are you looking at and, where does it go to? Does it go to a, a database? And, you know, just all the questions we get over the years, almost at every time Every time I go to a game. So I came back to, to the office and I told the guys, I said, why wouldn't we, why wouldn't we develop a, a scout school to, you know, teach and, and educate the basketball community how we do things at the very highest level in the NBA? to teach high school and college, and, of course, we help each other. I mean, I'm, I've been in the NBA for 12 years now, and, and I learned last year, and I run the, the the event, you know, and I learned last year at scout school. I picked up a couple nuggets that made me better, and it's not necessarily a place to go and look for a job. I mean, if, if, that's not how you get in the NBA on the basketball operations side. Th- those are relationship-based, and, you know, you, there's multiple ways to get in, but I think – that's that's a component of it where you can start some relationships with some folks in the NBA or around the NBA, whether it's an agent or a coach or a scout or a GM, an assistant GM, a player personnel guy, a advanced scout. It's all relationship-based, and I think that's really important. But our focus was to have an event, just a great conference that's full of information, it's like it's like you know the, the the doctor conference where the best doctors in the world are, and you convene in one spot, and you know a couple hundred people or a couple thousand people come and get better. I think it's a great place to get better, and a lot of information shared. We have new technologies that are introduced every year, uh, you know, that help you know scouts get better, or whether it's a database or a product or something that. Uh, we can all implement into our teams or individually into our scouting systems. And I'll tell you what, we're really excited about it. Last year was a home run, and, and we, we think this year is going to be even better. 
That's great to hear. And something that, as somebody who's covered the NBA for six years, which is kind of crazy to think about, is that you also can learn a lot in this type of in that type of setting from learning how other people watch the same sport. And you know, being around even media members, much less scouts. I've had very few off the record conversations with scouts, which have actually been huge for me in the recent years in terms of looking for things a little bit differently. But every everything, every piece of insight that you can get from other people affects the way that you watch everything as you move forward. And that's it's kind of exciting because you see the league in a new way. For sure, for sure. And uh, that, that's what we were, that's what I was talking about a few minutes ago is, you know, there, there was an international panel up there uh, last year and there was a um, talent evaluation panel where we just talked about evaluating talent. And um, this year we're having a coaches panel well, we'll have one head coach, David Blatt, from the Cavs, and then we're going to have three NBA assistant coaches, one from the Rockets, one from the Grizzlies, and the Toronto Raptors. And they're going to share some of the scouting philosophies to prepare for a game. So it's more like the advanced scouting versus the personnel scouting because there's different, two different types of scouting in the NBA, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, And so we're just really excited about it. This is something where I've been lucky, Daniel, because I, you know, run the Euro camp in, in Treviso for nine years. I, I had over 50 NBA coaches come through and coach at the event. So I was able to build a lot of great relationships. I'm really lucky and I'm fortunate, but, um, and, and these guys, uh, really want to, it's, it's a way for all of us to pay it forward. Quite frankly, I, I can't tell you how good I feel when pro scout school finishes because we've helped a lot of people. And, it's funny, you know, our, our focus is to, for the educational piece and for all of us to get better and get information and, and uh, learn new things, but it's also relationship-based. And, and some, you'll see a testimonial page on our, on our website about some opportunities that people got, uh, and that was because of uh, some relationships they built and fostered those the proper way throughout the, throughout the summer. One thing I wanted to ask you, you brought up your background with the, the with the European basketball camps in, in Treviso. I was wondering how did that how did that location end up being the site for for that basketball camp? <laughs> there was a gentleman by the name of Maurizio Gardini who was the general manager of Benetton Treviso and that's that was a, you know it was a big basketball team in the Euroleague for many years. Tony Kukoc played there and uh, there were many NBA guys over the years that played there. It was like unofficially the first basketball academy in Europe. There were a few here and there, but that was like that was like the main one where people wanted to go and play because the big names were there and big names are going and then getting bought out, going to bigger clubs or going to the NBA. And and Maurizio was one of the, the when when people were shutting their doors to NBA scouts and executives coming over to scout talent, he, he opened his doors and, and wanted people to come in and then developed relationships with, you know, guys like myself and other a few other NBA scouts. And when Reebok wanted to, you know, expand a little bit in terms of their basketball presence around the world, they said, well, where, where should we, where should we do the event? And I, and I said, well, Benetton Chorizo is the perfect spot. Uh, and Mauricio, of course, was very influential with all of that and that decision. And uh, from there, Donnie Nelson and Kiki Vanduay helped start it with us, and uh, it just took off. Now, it was very difficult at, at first because many people around the continent, the old continent over there, didn't know, really know what to expect because these players 
essentially our, our assets because they're all under contract by these European clubs. And for Benetton, they, they, thought, they thought it was just Benetton related when really it was a, a shoe company. And uh, we wanted to bring all the NBA folks over to evaluate the top international players in one setting. And as, as the trust grew with club general managers and club, and, and, you know, and club coaches and agents over there, they realized they could do business. They can do business over there. They can promote their player and, and they can promote their club, their team. And the, the world shrunk essentially over those nine years. And I'm really proud of that, quite frankly. It was a great, great nine years of my life. And we had over, I think, over 80 players drafted in the NBA in those, in those nine years. And, um, a lot of healthy relationships were built and friends that I hope I hope to have for the rest of my life from, from that event. And also, you know, as you said, it made the world a lot smaller was the argument. I, what I'm sure helped that process was in terms of players and agents saying that you're going to get a lot of exposure at one time. And while some guys do benefit from, you know, the mystery and all that, I would say for the most part, if you're a if you're a player from over there who wants to play in the NBA, the way that you're going to make that happen is by having teams fall in love with you because it has to be more affirmative in that sense because they're going to see less of you. So I, th- I feel like that argument carried some weight, though I'm sure it took a little while for it to sink in. For sure. You know, the other thing we did was we, we opened the doors to agents and to media, everyone. I, I didn't believe in having just a little section for media or a little section for agents or shut the agents out completely. These guys are representing their player and let them come in and do business, you know, as long as everyone was respectful and, and respected the space of, you know, certain people while they're working. I wanted everyone to come in. I wanted it to be the event for basketball leading up to the NBA draft. And, and we had a lot of success. And part of that was just because the, the, the trust that was built. And then, of course, the, the energy and effort from a lot of people. You know, I, I, by, by no means did I do that myself. I mean, I, I had so many good people around, you know, Mauricio and Donnie and then our staff, you know, from – you know, Fran Fraschilla, I, I hired who, who was my high, or my college coach in Manhattan College for a year. I brought him in, and then Dennis Lindsay, the GM of Utah, Tony Ronzoni, and Jack Sigma, and Bill Baino, and J.B. Bickerstaff, Kenny Atkinson. These guys were all our coaches every year, and we had a real good system in place. And they care so much. If you, if you, I wish you could have seen the event when our guys coached. They had so much energy and. They cared so much about all these 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 players, and it was a real fun. And, and honestly, the scouting environment was great for everyone because it was a small little gym, and I put all the NBA scouts and GMs on the sideline and the baseline, so they had a front row seat, and um, it was just a it was just a great event. Do you think uh, it, obviously the American system is really different, but do you think that something on that concept would work here? I do. I do. Uh, you know, it would it would take some tweaking because there's there's some creative structure that needs to be put in place for an event like that to succeed here. You know, there was a formula we, we created. Part of it was the recruitment of the player, uh, you know, the invitation, and then the relationship with the agent. Because in, in the states, nobody has an agent essentially until <laughs> after they declare for the draft. They go through the process. You know, they they have their coaching staff and their family that help them make a decision, but they're not really educated on the process and how the draft works and how things need to go for them to put their best foot forward and uh, to get the best exposure and 
to be put in the right situation on the right team at the right time during an event like that. We we were very calculated with our rosters, and we wanted to make sure that the the you know the players that put their name in the draft for the event made sure that they performed well. And if they didn't, they didn't. But we wanted to at least make sure they were put in the right spots and, and pr- protected a little bit. And then hopefully they, they played well where they could show their ability. Mm-hmm. Before before we head out, uh, something, and this might not really be an answerable question, I hope that it is, is since we're not talking about any specific player or anything like that, are there any skills that you th- that you wish were more broadly encouraged in, in basketball development? Yeah. Uh, first, uh, obviously, shooting is a premium, and I wish everyone could shoot. It's just a lot of guys can't shoot. There's only a few really, really good shooters each year. I just wish there were more shot makers, but I, I, I wish that people had a better feel for the game. You know, I wish the point guards could all run pick and roll the way they were supposed to. I wish they, people read the game better. In, in other words, we talked about ball, ball movers earlier. I, you know, it's, there's nothing worse to go into the game and, and the ball sticks in a guy's hand and you know, he's trying to do something special or for himself. And I get it. It's part of the game. Um, but I think reading the game, and I don't know necessarily without guys playing a lot of good five-on-five with good coaching simultaneously at the younger level, I don't know how else to, to develop that. You know, there's a few guys that maybe are born with it, but... Uh, Generally, I think they need to play a lot of basketball so the game slows down quicker than than you know when they they're in their twenties. Um, I know for me, and I was a point guard, the uh, game didn't slow down for me until I was probably twenty six, twenty seven, and then I started reading the game at a different level. But to give you an answer, I, I think that would that would be uh, it would be nice. The only one I agree with all that. The only one that I would add is uh, I would love to see bigger guys have more comfort handling the ball. And you see guys, there are certain guys in the league who started small and then got bigger, and so you see how they can do that. I think that the quality of play, and I actually think from what I've seen, a lot of, and of course there's a sample bias of the Europeans that have made the jump over, A lot. it seems like some of them have that more in their skill set, but I think that would make for a much more watchable league if you had the larger human beings more comfortable with the ball in their hands. Well, it's funny you said that, and then you mentioned uh, the international game. The international bigs get taught the game from the outside in, and our our bigs generally in the United States get taught the game from the inside out. That's why you see the bigs over there coming over that can handle the ball, shoot the ball, dribble handoff, and make reads in the high post and things like that. They've been playing that that basketball. They get lifted so much and have the ball and, and dribble handoff situations, pick and roll situations. They they've been taught that game from when they were very little. They they aren't just put in the post and told to go in the post under the basket because they're big. Where we we do a little bit of that here, but I, I'm sure it's getting a little better. But that's that's one of the reasons why. Oh, one other thing because I can't think of many people have a better chance to ask this to. I'm somebody who thinks of positions more as a defensive construct. So you know, point guards is, are the guys who defend the smallest guy in the court, and then offense because it can vary so much on individual. I mean, for me, two of the best jump shooters that are in the league right now are over 6'10 or taller, and a lot of the best ball handlers. Do you think about position as as more of a singular entity, or do you kind of split it up into some niches? Uh, Positions in the NBA, you're essentially defined by the position you can guard. So, 
you know, if if you're a if you're a guy that can guard a a shooting guard, that's who you are. Because our rules and our spacing that kind of dictate dictate it. And then you got to hope that you have an offensive skill set as a shooting guard as well. Sometimes you don't, and that's where it gets tricky. We talk a lot about that at scout school as well. Somebody brought up a similar question, and we had a few different scouts give give their answer, and they were all pretty similar. It's at the end of the day, you're, you're defined by the position you can defend, and then from there, you just hope everything else fits in. Is there anything else you'd like to convey to the listeners? No, uh, you know the, the only thing I'd like to, to for the listeners is uh, just give give them our date, July 13th and 14th in uh, Las Vegas is Pro Scout School, and uh, we're at the Westgate Hotel. Our website is tpgsportsgroup.com, and all the information is on there, and we encourage to call and, and email with any questions you may have. Of course, we have the, we're also offering the GM experience that we encourage to call for details on that. That's, we're accepting applications for that. One package is already sold out, our, our all-inclusive package, and, uh, but things are going very well, and uh, it's going to be a great event. Well, thank you so much for taking the time, and best of luck with the event. Daniel, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. Thanks again to Pete Philo for taking the time to come on. As he already phrased it beautifully, the Pro Scout School is taking place July 13th and 14th in Las Vegas. And TPG's, their website is tpgsportsgroup.com, so you can check that out. There's an event for that, and you can look up other things as well. I really appreciate him coming on. One of my visions with Real Jam Radio was to be able to talk with people like him and really you know, go through the process and try to hopefully give listeners a better understanding of how all of this works. So I hope you enjoyed it as well. I, I love talking to him. And as always, you can give me feedback either through email or through Twitter. My email is daniel.larue at realgm.com. And my Twitter is Danny LaRue, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X. I read everything. I respond to as much as I can. And I really do appreciate it because your input makes this a better show. Looking forward to having some exciting things in the future. Of course, once we have another round to talk about in the NBA, we'll talk about that. I like to do it that way because while the Dunked On podcast, if you don't listen to that, that's more of a daily thing that I've been helping Nate Duncan get off the ground. It's been thrilling so far. The idea for Real Jam Radio is to be more a moment in time, and so for me, those moments in time are more when series end, because otherwise, things are changing so quickly that I try to save it one one for the other. They're different things. But so, thank you so much for listening. Take care, and make it a great day. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can seem intense. Like breakup R and B intense. I thought you said you love the sweater that I got you. If you didn't, you could have told me. Geico makes it easy. Just go to Geico.com anytime to update or check your policy without all the extra drama. I 
even had a different 